The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. I see that our new member couple, Logan and Elise Neff, would you guys stand there in the back here? Say hi to Logan and Elise. Good to welcome them in. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, it's good to have you here with us this morning. I want to welcome you all in the name of Jesus this morning. Uh, as, as Jim also said, uh, we are a couple weeks, three full weeks into the year, and that means we are just a couple weeks away from Missions Month, uh, which begins on February 4th. And so we've got a great lineup of speakers, preachers from within and without the congregation. Um, we've got uh, Mitt Vickerman. Uh, Kelsey Herndon, we've got Larry Bowles, um, and we've got Milton Jones. So it is a great lineup all four weeks, and uh, you are not going to want to miss Missions Month as we focus on the good news of God's mission in the world and how we can get in on it. So I hope you'll be here and gather with us in the month of February. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, but this morning marks the second in a little three-week mini-series on the rhythms of our church, modeled around them, gather, grow, go. And I have to confess that my view of these three words has, has started to shift a little bit, the way that I, that I imagine them, because I think going into this series, I, I've initially thought of grow as probably the most individual of the G's. You know, grow is about me and my walk with Jesus and my spiritual life and how uh, I mature in Him. You know, and, and gather is, is more of a group thing. That's where we all come together here on Sunday mornings and, and worship. And go is where uh, we get outside the group to bring more people in the group. But over this past week, I've started to realize that grow might actually be the most communal of all the G's. Grow might actually be the most collectivist of all the G's between gather, grow, and go. And so I hope this morning that you'll keep that in the back of your mind as we take a look at how we can grow together as a church body. And we're going to do that in 1 Peter this morning. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you want to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, it says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling block, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Lord, we come this morning receiving your mercies anew. God, we come this morning as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And God, we want to give thanks to you this morning for that living stone, that cornerstone Jesus Christ upon which we are built, upon which we grow into salvation. God, I ask for the gift of preaching this morning. I ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us, for your presence to heal our hearts, to relieve our blindness, and open our eyes to your glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. I was having lunch the other day with a couple of friends who are uh, both pretty involved in their churches, one as a volunteer and the other as a staff member. And we were talking about uh, one of them, his church, all these kind of new programs and, and new attractions and pushes for numbers and new members and bringing more visitors in. And we were talking about this tension that kind of exists in the church. This tension between uh, growing this way and growing this way. You know, this tension of trying to call as many people as possible to Jesus Christ. Call as many people as possible into the fold, but not to forget the weight of what we are called to. You know, this tension of not forgetting that the road is narrow. And so this is a tension that has been with the church uh, since its inception, and I suspect will always be with it. It was actually just a few decades ago that um, John Stott said, we confess that we have sometimes pursued church growth at the expense of church depth. We've sometimes pursued church growth at the expense of church depth. And so this morning, as we talk about grow, I want us to especially keep that latter sense in mind. Uh, That sense of not just growing this way, horizontally, getting wider, but growing deeper. When we talk about grow this morning, we're going to be talking more in terms of growing deeper so that we might grow wider. Not forgetting the weight of what we call as many as possible to in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be doing that this morning. Uh, We are on the grow G of gather, grow, go. So you've probably noticed that we like alliterations here at the Springs. 
And we're going to look at that grow G through three B's this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be talking about beverage, building, and brightness. I know it's not as catchy. It's, it's not quite as snappy as gather, grow, go, but, but hopefully it will stick with you this morning. So let's go ahead and start with beverage in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this in the first three verses, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, There's a character on the television show The Office uh, who's not all that bright uh, named Kevin Malone. And uh, there's a point in the show when another character, Andy, leaves the office for a few months and, and he leaves behind inadvertently a carton of milk in the fridge. And so when Andy uh, begins to come back, gets closer to returning, Kevin tells us that he has been sneaking a sip of milk from Andy's carton every day for the last three months. And he he actually gets kind of sad that Andy's coming back. He says, well, I guess it's goodbye chunky lemon milk. Now that hits us in a visceral place. I would imagine most of us have had some kind of experience with sour milk, with milk that has turned or been impure. Uh, It's not an experience that you quickly forget. At least you've smelled it, I'm sure. Uh, So we know what impure milk tastes like. But what is this pure spiritual milk that Peter's talking about? What is this pure spiritual milk? I think we need to back up a couple verses into the end of chapter 1 to find it, actually. He, he quotes Isaiah. He says in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 1, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah saying, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so then he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. That that word spiritual is directly related to that word in verse 23 of chapter 1, word. So we're back to that logos kind of word. Both of these are related. You could really translate it, long for the words pure milk. So Peter is calling us to be nourished by the word of God. He's calling us back to that first newborn nourishment of Holy Scripture. The scripture that testifies to Jesus Christ. If we are going to experience spiritual growth as a community, if we are going to experience any kind of revival of faith, it is going to happen by returning afresh as a community to God's word, holy scripture. But here's the reality. The reality is that we live in an age of souring and substitutes. 
And church, we can't settle for souring and substitution. Here's what I mean. On the one hand, there are some would-be religious teachers that are offering us sour milk. That are offering us milk that has gone bad. Milk that, that has unhealthy bacteria in it. A word that, that would be the gospel, but it has been made impure. A word that has been compromised. And it's that chunky lemon milk, right? But on the other hand, we, we've got some in society that are offering us the substitutes, right? They're, they're offering us soy and rice and, and, and almond. And now, actually, there are pros and cons to all different kinds of milk, but to follow the metaphor of the passage, for a newborn infant, nothing can replace that vitamin D, that protein, that calcium of good old-fashioned dairy milk. Peter is calling us back to that first source of Christian discipleship and growth. He's calling us back to that pure Milk of the Word of God. Holy Scripture, not, not alone, not as individuals, but he's calling us to re, revisit Scripture afresh as a community of believers because that is where spiritual growth happens. That is where we begin to grow into salvation. We can't settle for souring and substitution. Uh, you may know that I'm, I'm fond of a German theologian named Karl Barth that I've mentioned a few times before, uh, often thought of as the greatest theologian of the last century. And there's a story told about his one and only visit to America um, where he was at Princeton University and a reporter asked him, how would you sum up the essence of all these millions of, literally millions of words that you have written in Christian theology, written about God. And Karl Barth said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, it might sound infantile or unsophisticated, but the most intricate, beautiful, complex thinking that we can do about God pretty much can't improve upon that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the second image that we get from 1 Peter 2 is building. In verses 4 through 6, he says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That phrase, living stone, might sound kind of strange or foreign to us, uh, but in the world of the New Testament or, or before that in the ancient Near East, I think this, this word living stone would have kind of jumped off the page and made a lot more sense uh, because of the way that they thought about idols. Uh, so the biblical language for idolatry sometimes talks about these gods, lowercase g, as, as made of wood and stone, made of human hands. And so Deuteronomy 4 verse 28 says, 
you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So these gods are dead. They're not alive. But Peter says, look, you've got a living stone. You've got a living stone, the one true God who has become incarnate in Jesus Christ. And this is the stone that you are being built around. Not a God of, of wood or dead stone, but a living stone, the cornerstone. That is where your spiritual house is being built. And if we're being built into a spiritual house by the one true God, we've got to remember this. We've got to remember that we can't confuse our tile for the temple. The temple, the spiritual house that God is building us into, is more than my little ceiling tile. The temple that God is building us into is more than your little floor tile. The temple is a grand spiritual house made up of all of us. And I think our tendency sometimes is to think about how things affect our tile. How do things affect my wall, my room? And certainly, God does care about our little tile. He cares about every wall, every doorknob, every wall socket. He cares about all of it. But God says, I'm building you into something bigger than that. I'm building you into a spiritual house, and you can't confuse your tile for the entire temple. It's interesting to uh, talk about a spiritual house this morning because we are actually working on and renovating and constructing a physical house right now. We've been talking about this a lot, our, our new property and building up on Northwestern Avenue. And it's been cool because our offices are already up there in the building just to the north of it. And so I can, I can literally just look out my south window and see things as they change, as they break ground on the portico, and we in the office have been heading over and looking inside and seeing all these things and meeting with Phil and other contractors. And for those of you in construction or who've had something built before, it is pretty amazing to see all these disparate people and disparate parts begin to come together. You know, to see all these contractors and subcontractors and, and us, the owners, and everybody begin to communicate to one another and know that, well, this, this piece has to get going if this piece is going to fit in and to watch this critical path and how it moves along as everyone communicates. And so I don't think it's insignificant that Peter actually begins this passage by talking about communication. Remember how he starts in verse 1? He says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. If we are going to be successful as a church, as being built into more than just my ceiling tile and your ceiling tile and your floor tile, if we are going to actually come together as something greater, growing into salvation... It's going to happen with communication. It's going to happen with loving speech. That's where it's going to begin. 
It's going to happen by putting away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and realizing that our tile is not the entire temple. And, and our final image this morning from 1 Peter, our final image from 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning is brightness. In verses 9 and 10, Peter concludes by saying this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And church, what I think we need to realize from Peter at this moment is that we can't grow in the dark. If we are going to receive the nourishment of the Word of God, if we're going to come together as a spiritual house, it's got to happen in openness. It's got to happen in vulnerability. If we are going to experience that that blazing, blinding, healing light of Jesus Christ, it's got to happen in community with one another. The light of Jesus Christ shines on all of our darkness, on all of our flaws, all of our sins and fears and brokenness. And that happens in community. That happens in the Langford's living room. That happens in the Stevenson's backyard. That happens bearing our soul in Bible class. That happens talking about marital struggles in re-engage. That happens on the bus to Winterfest. It happens in community is where we experience the light of Jesus. We are the ones as Christ's image that pull each other from darkness to light. That happens in community by the power of the Spirit. And here's the very crux of it all, church. The whole reason that we can experience and move into the light together is because Jesus first entered the darkness. The whole reason we move into the light is because Jesus first moved into the darkness. On the cross, Jesus suffered the most immoral human rejection so that we, the most immoral of humans, might be accepted. On the cross, Jesus entered into utter and complete spiritual darkness so that we might walk into the light together. His his broken body has become our firm foundation. Church, he is the, the stone that the builders rejected and he's become the cornerstone and he is the stone upon which we build this community. It always comes back to Jesus crucified and risen Messiah. So if you want to put away malice and deceit, if you want to be 
built into something bigger than yourself, if you want to receive that nourishment, look no further than God's word, Jesus Christ. If you do want to receive that nourishment of a new birth, I want to invite you to come forward and talk to us more this morning as we stand and sing together.